The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Every day. 
So in the book of 1 Peter, it says this, coming out of chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, if you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. Be well balanced and always alert. Because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of troubles that you endure. I want to read parts of something that I heard the other day. It says, if I were the devil, if I were the, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So... I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. Continuing on, it says, if I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed, and the promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions and just let those run wild until before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting, promoting pornography. Soon, I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and defy science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing young people and misusing the church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of the Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. Where am I going with this? Believe it or not, that was on the radio in 1965 by Paul Harvey. Does that not sound like today? Ladies and gentlemen, church, we are at war. We are in a war. We're in a battle for our livelihoods. We're in a battle for our churches. We're in a battle for our children. We're in a battle for our schools. And that's why... As we come to this table, we have to make sure that we, we continue to lift up our teachers, continue to lift up our children, because the, the schools that they go to now are not the schools that I remember whenever I was growing up. School is hard. But a praying church lifts our children up 
A praying church lifts our teachers up. A praying church lifts our administrators up. And our Heavenly Father lifts up our praying church. I found an analogy that goes along with this one time. And it says... A farmer was out in his field observing as a hired hand baled hay into large bales. Unfortunately, the farmer got too close to one of the bales and it fell on him. And as he was lying underneath, the hired hand went and got the EMTs. One EMT showed up one time and he tried to lift that bale, but he couldn't do it. He went and got a friend, and two people came back, and they tried to lift that bale, and they couldn't do it. The EMT got down on his knees, and he said, just wait, just wait, I'll go get more help. And the farmer whispered, just cut the strings. The EMT left, went to get more help, and unfortunately, by the time they came back, the farmer was dead. If they'd only cut the strings, Heavenly Church body, we are in a time where we need to cut the strings and we need to allow God to set us up. We can't deal deal with this on our own. Our God is the only person that can help us. Our God is the only person, the only thing that will help take us, stand us up in his glory. And help us lift our students, lift our teachers, lift our schools, lift our world up. Because we are in a battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your promise that where two or three come together in your name, Lord, there you are also. Lord, we are in a battle and you know that. But you are bigger than anything that we can encounter. Lord, I pray that as we start this new school year, as we start this new season, Lord, that you take control. You allow us to witness your majesty. Lord, get us out of the way and you take over and use us in a way that is going to bring you glory. Let us be the tools in your hand to bring glory and honor to your name. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. FDR had been president for three terms, and they were a little concerned about his health. Wasn't sure he was going to be able to live through a fourth term. Henry Wallace was his vice president, but FDR chose to make a little-known senator from Missouri the vice president. Harry S. Truman became Vice President. The FDR Truman ticket won easily. It was a landslide. But only three months into his fourth presidency, Roosevelt died from a massive cerebral hemorrhage. And only three months of executive office training in the middle of World War II, Truman becomes president. In fact, it was after he was sworn in that he learned the U.S. had the atomic bomb. He didn't know anything about the Manhattan Project at that point. Two days after, uh, after Roosevelt uh, died, FDR died, he addressed Congress, and he quoted 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9 that you've heard multiple times today. Give your servant a discerning heart. It was, in the, it was, it was part of Solomon's famous speech about... God said, what do you need? I'll give you anything you want. And he says, give me wisdom. Give me a heart that listens and understands. But as I was looking at some of this stuff, the Hebrew that is translated discerning heart and the different versions that you heard actually said the Hebrew would translate better as a listening and obeying heart, a heart that hears and does, which may spring to mind things like just as I am or trust and obey or be doers of the word, not just hearers. 
I want us to have a discerning heart that will know what to do. We're in this point of impact series. How do we know, though, how to, if we have a discerning heart? What if what you're hearing flies in the face of what you absolutely know? Now, it says up here, Acts chapter 10. I'm going to invite you to join us in Acts chapter 10. Hope you have your Bible with you online. Have your Bible or your app open. We want to be a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. But keep Acts 10 open. We're going to go through a lot of it, but we're going to do it in chunks. This is a story of Peter and Cornelius. We have looked at this before, but I, I want to look at it from a different angle today. And I hope that you'll join me in Acts chapter 10. Thank you for joining us on the radio and online with Central Christian Church in Portalis. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Okay, so the first main character is a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius lives in Caesarea. That's about 30 miles north of Joppa, which would be about a day and a half's journey. It is a Roman-ruled area, and he is a Roman centurion. That immediately says he is over a hundred men, but it also casually says he's a captain in the Italian regiment. I didn't know what that meant. So you start looking up and there weren't very many of these. The Italian regiment was, were captains over each of them were over 600 centurion groups. So this guy could have had as many as 60,000 soldiers underneath him. That meant he was one of the elite. That was, he was in the close inner circle of uh, the Roman ruler, the emperor. Now, I want you to note, though, what is not recorded about Cornelius. It doesn't tell you how many battles he won. It doesn't tell you how, many, how rich he is. It really doesn't even tell you what kind of prestige he has, except for that little thing about the Italian regiment. And you have to go digging to find that. But you know what it does tell you? It records his heart and how he was noticed by God. He practiced two things in the Jewish faith, two tenets of the Jewish religion that mattered. He practiced prayer and he practiced alms, giving to the poor. It says he gave generously to those that were poor. Those are going to be the people on the side of the streets, outside of the synagogue, wherever it was he was at. You see, God was not impressed with his religion, but by his actions. That's what proved it. But I wonder if we see the real impact of this story and the point of impact. Because this is the rabbit hole I went down this last couple of weeks. At this time in history, there was no assimilation into the Jewish church. They did not do evangelization drives. They didn't try to get more members. (laughs) If you wanted to be a Jew, you had to go through all of the circumcision. You had to turn your back on everything. They weren't (laughs) recruiting, okay? And, And above all of that, this guy is a Roman soldier. There is no way a Jewish synagogue would let a Roman soldier in. That's the bad guy. Those are the conquerors, which made me wonder, how did this Cornelius guy become a God-fearing man? And not only him, but his whole household. Where did that come from? How did that happen? He had to have seen something or felt something from somebody in his life. What if, and I, I please understand this is just opinion and just goofing, 
What if it was Jesus himself? What if he heard Jesus speak? What if, what if he was one of those Roman soldiers on Golgotha that said, surely this man, what if it was that guy? It doesn't say that. I'm not saying it says that. But do you hear what I'm saying? Where did it, where did the history come from? What's his backstory? You see, it reminds me that real faith is not where you go to church. Real faith is proved out in our actions. Real faith is shown in our behavior. Something impacted Cornelius so much that it changed how he acted. God saw how Cornelius treated those that would be less than him. Do you realize a Roman centurion and certainly a Roman a, a, a captain had the authority to kill Jews with no repercussions? I mean, if they made him mad, he could, he could off them right there. He would not go to jail. He would not lose any, his pension. They might even promote him. It was that kind of oppression that he was dealing with. Yet Cornelius saw people hurting and he helped them. He prayed in a habit of prayer. Question, if that's the measuring stick, how do you lift up? How do you measure up? You hearing me? If that's the measuring stick that God saw of a discerning heart, how would you look? Now, it's going to get weird here, but stick with me. As people come in contact with Jesus, change happens in their life. How many of you remember Peter? Okay, eight of you. Great, thanks. Um, how many of you remember Peter? Okay, Peter, we see him in scripture. Peter's a good guy, all right? He shoots off his mouth, but he is a, a, a devout Jew. We see that he's a hard worker as a fisherman. He followed the law. Jesus made him a fisher of men, right? We know Peter's background. There's an odd statement in verse 6. When God, through this angel, talks to Cornelius and says, hey, go find Simon Peter and listen to his message. He's staying with a guy named Simon, same name, but that Simon has a job. He is a tanner. This is not somebody that lays in those UV booths, all right? This is a tanner of hides. And if somebody is a tanner of hides, okay, Track with me here. I'm trying to keep it clean and G-rated. You're going to go to eat here in a minute. But a, a tanner of hides is going to be around dead animals most of the time, right? He's cutting them. There's going to be blood everywhere. Problem. If Peter is a devout Jew and the Jewish faith, how do they feel about dead animals? That's a, that's a no-no, okay? That's a, the, the survey says no, okay? You don't get to do that. In fact... The rabbis mention tanners in the same category as bathhouses and public urinals. And frequently, the tanner's house, the stench was so bad that they made them live on the outskirts of town downwind, wherever the predominant wind is. This Simon was more than likely a Jewish follower, but he would have to go through multiple cleansing rites to just allow him to get to go to the synagogue. Why is Peter staying there? Why is he in this house that immediately makes him unclean? I think it shows that the character of Peter has been changing. But stick with me as we go a little bit farther into this story. In Acts chapter 10, pick up with me in verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. 
Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Okay, let's look at that section. Peter goes up on the roof to pray. It's about lunchtime. He's hungry. It's probably hot. And God appears to him. Question, when does God want to speak to you? Or a follow-up question, does God frequently want to speak to you at a convenient time? I can answer that for most of us. Probably not, all right? He, he probably doesn't fit on our time schedule, which makes me wonder, do we miss some of God's lessons because they don't come on Sunday morning between 1030 and noon? God was speaking. Well, it's Tuesday afternoon, God. That's a me time. Uh, that's your time's on Sunday. You hearing what I'm saying? What if God has lessons that are going on in our life and we're missing them? But I want you to catch something. Did we get this about both guys that are important in this story? Peter and Cornelius both had the habit of daily prayer. You hear me? Both of them midday had the habit, not just once in a while. These were habits that they had developed. I don't think it's a coincidence that God reveals himself to somebody that is in the habit of seeking God. Does that make sense? And if we are in the habit of it, he is going to speak to us. I believe he wants to speak to you. I believe he wants to speak more to you. But do you have a listening and obeying heart? As that verse from 1 Kings 3. An obedient heart that is hearing. So God shows Peter a bunch of food. Now the voice, it says, the voice said, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, that's the Lord. It never actually says that it is, but we get it that it probably was the Lord. And he says, kill some of these animals. Now, it is my understanding that in this sheet, it says reptiles, all these other things. These are animals that would be forbidden for a Jewish person to eat. Write this down, Leviticus 11. Go spend some time in Leviticus 11. We're not going to go there right now, but go read it. You're going to go Leviticus. This is the section of, of, of scripture that explains which ones are good to eat, and which ones are bad to eat. But as I was looking through there, it doesn't answer one question that I had. Why are these animals unclean? Now, it tells you a little bit about, well, some have cloven hoof and some have cud and chew the cud and which, you know, there's some rulings on there. But why? I couldn't get a why. It doesn't specifically state, but I had some thoughts about it. I wonder if some of it was to show the Jewish person's obedience to God. It's, it's this moment where God says, because I said so, right? You're going to do this because I said so. Will the Jewish people, will the Hebrews follow him? And will they obey him? And are we set apart from the pagan Gentiles? Because clearly the diet shows up all throughout scripture. Esther, Esther eats a different kind of a diet. Daniel, Daniel eats a different kind of a diet. There's even a book out now called the Daniel diet and that, that people have followed what it was and it was healthy for them. Their skin showed up different. Their, their bodies reacted differently. God set them apart and had these things designed to set them apart. And he does for us too. And it is not to steal our joy or to keep the fun out of us. It is for our benefit that he sets us apart in some behaviors. Now, God's, or excuse me, Peter starts to argue with God. Can I uh, not recommend this behavior? It's not going to work out well. He argues with God, but if the teachers in the room would agree with me, Sometimes education happens through repetition. Is that a fair statement? 
Sometimes you have to repeat it over and over. Peter had to hear it three times. Exact same thing. Because, listen, listen close here. Prior to this moment, I think Peter thought he had it figured out. I think he thought you get your relationship with with God through these Jewish rituals. That's how he was raised. You do act this way and and you're you're close to God. You follow all the rules, you're close to God. But God was nullifying the food laws. He was changing doctrine right here to open the doors to all Gentiles. And this is not the first time this had happened. This is just a really poignant moment. Jesus started it back in Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus was on this land, he said, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what, it's what comes out. It's the words it's because it's coming out of your heart. Jesus had already started this orthodoxy change, but it comes and it flies in the face of Peter. I believe it up to this point, he's trusting in the rituals and he's assuming he knows how to know God. Question, can we trust so much in the rituals? Well, Don, I take communion. I got baptized. I go to church. I do the right things. I check the right boxes. So of course I'm a good guy. Can we trust the rituals so much that we miss the relationship? I believe we can. And I've seen a lot of people do it. Maybe the lesson was repeated three times because it was a huge point. God wants to impact our life beyond rituals, beyond beliefs. It's not just these things. I want us to practice communion. I want us to practice baptism. I want us to be obedient. People of the word need to be followers of his word, not just hearers. I mean, even in James chapter two, it says the demons believe and they shudder, but, but it doesn't change their action. It should change our action. This point of impact for the church is that our job is no longer to guard the orthodox. It's to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that Peter had two of these? He had the vision about the sheet, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go with these guys. It's okay. He had two interactions in this one little thing. It is the listening and the leading of the Holy Spirit that matters to us. But listen closely. Does this verse give us the authority to throw out certain behaviors? In a word, no. Because this is God speaking and not us. But here's where I'm coming from this. Many have have tried to use this interchange between Peter and Cornelius to say certain sins shouldn't be that big of a deal anymore. You hearing me? And they look at this and say, it's not that big of a deal because God made them that way. So just, just deal with it. It's okay. Everything's all right. And see, I think that's a wrong jump here. I think this interchange was about Peter's prejudice and not on who gets to call out sinners. Thomas Scott actually said one time the prejudice of Peter against the Gentiles would have prevented his going to Cornelius unless the Lord had prepared him. Cornelius has a vision. He knows it's from God and it scares him. Peter has a vision and he knows who it's from, but he was offended by it. (laughs) Cornelius was ready to do what it said, but he was terrified of it. Peter wasn't terrified of it, but he didn't want to do it. You hear the difference? Both of them had the same visions at the same time. What I think it can teach us, though, is this lesson right here, how God feels about people. There is no person, no one you know, no one you've dreamed of, no one you've read about that is too far away from God for him to love them. No one, nobody has come up. You've never dreamed up a sin that is beyond the reach of God's love. But we got to get that in our head. We can say it and we can amen it, but do we believe it about people? And what happens next literally changes the course of history. I mean, most of us would agree 9-11 changed our country, true? 
uh, December 7th, a date that will live in infamy. Okay, so we know everything changed after Pearl Harbor. Even June, July 28th, one small step for man, one giant mankind. All right, so, so these are monumental moments, right? Everything changed after that. But somebody comes up and says, it's the day that changed history. It's kind of hyperbole. I believe it's not. I believe this chapter absolutely changes history for you and me. Join me in Acts chapter 10. Let's finish this one up quickly. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know, it's against our Jewish, our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell you, tell me why you sent for me. Verse 30, Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Peter says in verse 26, I'm just a dude. All right. I'm just a normal man. Peter is a fisherman. He's not something spectacular. He is not seminary trained. He's not educated. He's not gifted. We're not even sure he, he was literate. He just followed. You see, this is an earthquake to Peter's belief system. It is a direct assault on everything he ever believed. Let me ask you a question and I don't want you to answer and I don't want you to point. What is a direct assault on you? Is it somebody's politics? Because let's be honest, we got a lot of blue and a lot of red and a lot of division in our country right now. We got a lot of angry and a lot of vitriol. Is it somebody's politics that upsets you? Is it somebody's skin color? Is it somebody's lifestyle choices? And they are offensive to you. What about... Maybe it's their church name or they go to that church with where they do that practice and they do these things that offend me. What is a direct assault on you? And what is unclean to you? Let's be honest. We all have prejudices. As much as we'd like to say we don't, we're trying to be honest. We're trying, I'm fighting them. You're fighting them. We're trying to be people that are just, hey, they, this, I'm battling this prejudice. But what is unclean to you? Is it divorced? Is it an alcoholic? Somebody that can't kick it? Well, if they just love God more. Is it somebody that's on welfare? Is it somebody that's made mistakes? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. God didn't call us to cut down jungles. He called us to water deserts. I think that's incredibly appropriate for us right now, isn't it? To bring hope. Not, not to fix everything, just to bring hope. Hope. Friends, this is not about sinful behavior. Jesus did not approve of sinful behavior. When a woman is caught in adultery, he doesn't approve of the behavior. He loves on the person. When Zacchaeus is cheating people, he loved on the person. Look in verse 31, what God says to, to Cornelius. Cornelius, your church attendance has been noticed. Is that what it says? No, it's how he treated people. It's how he prayed and how he gave. But because of this story, hope is offered to everyone. Peter listened and it changed how he acted. Cornelius listened and he acted on it. Friends, our character is how we treat people that don't benefit us. That don't give us any 
growth, that, that how we treat the people around us. And if we get it in our head that nobody is beyond the reach of God, it will change how we treat people. Then look at what Peter did after that. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter didn't pull out a bunch of tracts. He didn't set up a Bible study. He just told his story. I love this quote from Ken Lutterette. I put it on the back of your bulletin. Take a picture of this. I want this. I want you to ponder this. The primary change agents in the spread of faith throughout history were the men and women who earned their livelihood in some peculiar, excuse me, in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. Not preachers, people. Ordinary people just tell in their story, but it has to start with how we view other people. You see, this meeting shook the very foundations of orthodoxy. It opened the doors for you and me to hear the gospel. Before this, we may not have heard about it. So here's a question. Is your thinking preventing someone else from hearing? Is how you think about somebody and their backstory changed? Is is it limiting who can hear? Here's a big question. Do you have a listening heart? Now, a lot of us go, well, but Don, I like what I like. I get it. But is that causing others to miss out? Is your orthodoxy, how you feel about people, preventing growth? Let's see if we can make it a little more personal. We've all seen the guys on the street corners with the cardboard signs, right? And I got a hunch most of you had the same feeling in your gut that I do. Oh, what do I do? Anybody? Should I? Shouldn't I? If I give it, and we don't know what to do. And we have this, this angst. I'm I'm all right with the angst, but where it becomes a problem is it's a very quick step from angst to judgment. Well, if they just fixed their life, we wouldn't have to put up with this. I'm not buying their booze. You hear what I'm saying? That's judgment. That's not where we need to be. We started when we, a few years ago when we started having AA here at Central, we only had one, and now we're up to eight and possible others. And not very long after it started growing, I had somebody ask me, is that, are you sure, is that the somebody you want in your church? And I said, absolutely yes. We want anybody that is struggling because we want to help them. And so maybe God is speaking to you about somebody that's struggling and you're sitting here going, but how do I talk to him? I mean, it's, uh, what do I, uh, maybe we don't need to fix them. Maybe we need to just love them. Maybe we need to just love on people. Do we have a listening heart and do we have a discerning heart? What if Peter got, got this whole thing started and God said, Hey, Pete, I want you to look at this sheet and then, then you're going to be different. I don't think it would have gone as smoothly as it did. But after this point, this, this chapter is so monumental. After this point, Peter virtually disappears into the mission field. I grew up hearing that Paul was the, mission, was the apostle to the Gentiles. But the history will prove us Peter was as well. He left Jerusalem. James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter spends his life dealing with what we call the dirty, the outcast. Guess who are the dirty and outcast? You and me. He spent his life paving the way so you and I could hear. I got to go to a conference one time and Leonard Sweet was a speaker. I like his writings and and he tells his story. He was in Winnipeg, Canada, and, and he went to this church, and they was kind of set up, I think, like ours. They had a coffee thing out there, and they had donuts out there. And, and he said it was the weirdest thing. I heard the preacher stand up and say, go out there and get you some coffee, and go out there and get you some donuts. Then bring your coffee and your donuts back in here and add your stains to everybody else's. His comment was, that's the first time I'd ever heard carpet used as ministry. 
Do we hear how many places we could minister? If we would get outside of our orthodoxy, if we would get outside of how we look at other people, if we would look at them as loved by God, because that is a point of impact that will change you and me and the face of our town. We come broken. He can mend. We don't have to mend them. God will do that. We don't have to heal them. God will do that. We need to love. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.